the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights. Yeah. A different city every night. Oh, I, I swear. The world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. I'm with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomkline.com. And while you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at shalomkline. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. Um, but first and foremost, I'm thrilled and excited to be joined by Thomas Shelmy, a best-selling author of several books, among them Breakthrough, a cabin crew can teach you about leadership, teamwork, and customer contact, and The Coaching Code, Practical Tips for Cragging the Code, and Building a Successful Coaching Business. There's so much more. I know he's uh, Thomas has spent quite a bit of time working as an executive coach, facilitator, member of the Forbes Coaches Council, and so much more. Thomas, tell me, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Shalom, for having me on your show, and uh, good afternoon from Switzerland. Absolutely. It's an honor to have you. Uh, Thomas, you have uh, quite a bit of background working for uh, many years uh, in various management positions. I always love to start by getting to know our guests. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and why you're so passionate about coaching? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been 20 years plus, 20 plus years now that I'm in the field of uh, executive coaching, learning and development, uh, employed for the first eight years. And then it's 13 years now that I'm running my own business worldwide across industries and cultures. And before I embarked on this part of my journey, I had a very colorful uh, biography. So I started earning my first money cutting people's hair. I was a hairstylist. I did a three years apprenticeship. And then uh, I was a bit, you know, lost, didn't know what to, what else to do. I was, had many interests, etc. So I ended up uh, working for a circus and touring around for one and a half years, living in the trailer and doing the marketing for that circus until I finally got to Swissair, uh, the former national airline. And I started as a flight attendant in my mid-20s and then uh, quickly became a, what they called a maître de cabine, which is an in-flight manager or a purser. So I started leading cabin crew on the international network, learned a lot about myself, about human beings, about interaction between human beings, what works, what doesn't work, solving conflicts and all that stuff you can imagine in the narrow tube on 10,000 meters um, or uh, yeah, feet, probably in your case. And you got to solve issues quickly. And I'm still benefiting from uh, this experience. So after that, I got into the coaching business with a lot of further education for myself. And here I am today doing what I love doing, helping others to grow and develop 
and become more effective in, in what they do. Sure. Absolutely. And I'm chatting with Thomas Jelmy. Um, fascinating. I love that background. Amazing. Um, starting with uh, Swiss air and certainly uh, continuing to use those lessons learned um, and, uh, and most importantly, teach others, which is fantastic. And if anybody Googles you, Thomas, I know that they will see a lot of the, uh, a lot of the advice that you share quite freely about, uh, about leadership. So I certainly don't want to be uh, left out over here and I don't want to leave <laughs> our listeners to get down to business out over here. I know you've used the line about becoming an authentic, conscious, and effective leader. In your mind, yeah. Thomas, what is involved? What sets uh, somebody apart and uh, allows them to be all of those adjectives versus some others that are, are just sort of floating by? Yeah. Well, uh, first and foremost, it's being in a good relationship with yourself. So knowing yourself, knowing who you are uh, in terms of, you know, uh, qualities, competencies, values, what's really important for you, and then living up to these in an authentic way, being genuine, showing up for who you really are, which includes things like vulnerability. Yeah. So putting away the protective armor and just really connecting with people. That sets uh, good leaders, great leaders, effective leaders, apart from maybe those who try to apply methods and techniques. You know, ever so often I hear people uh, that they want to attend a course or get some hints and tips and tricks and how to better mobilize people to and, and, and get them to do what needs to be done. Um, which in most cases means how can I manipulate people better, right? But that's a completely wrong approach because people sense it. People notice whether you're genuine or whether you're trying to, you know, dominate or push them. And um, so this requires doing the work, you know, in, in yourself, with yourself. So today I'm, I'm convinced based on my experience that leadership development is first and foremost personality development and it starts with your own personality so does that answer your question amazing it does it does indeed um and that's uh super, super inspiring um to watch uh, i hear the authenticity uh in your voice um as you uh as, as you talk about mm -hmm. this so in your mind as you watch what's going on today what are leaders doing wrong and how do we fix it well, the main issue I see nowadays is that we live in this so-called VUCA environment, VUCA world. VUCA is an acronym that stands for the four main challenges that leaders and organizations have been facing in the past one to two decades. V for volatility, U for uncertainty, C for complexity, and A for ambiguity. So that's the environment we're navigating in as organizations, whether it's corporate or a small SME, doesn't really matter. And the pandemic that we've all just globally been through was a VUCA example par excellence. It came with all these challenges in an amplified way. Now, this means that the demands on the people working in organizations, the staff, have never been higher before than now. And paradoxically, or yeah, paradoxically, the very same challenges that affect organizations also affect those people working in organizations and add pressure to them and push them to the limits of their performance and resilience. And now, 
many leaders or most managers and leaders are trying to resolve this dilemma by trying to create an even stronger culture of performance. So pushing even more, which is in the end counterproductive because experience shows that in focusing on, on, on the numbers only and, and focusing on performance only is not the best, not the healthiest, and especially not the most sustainable way to ensure the success of a company. Instead, the key is to create a culture of humanity where people can be seen as human beings, a, a culture of trust, a culture of appreciation. So really putting the people at the heart of the corporate culture and the organization and caring for them, which will eventually positively affect the numbers, which sounds like common sense, right? But the more we are under pressure, the more these simple things fall by the wayside, right? Indeed, absolutely. Again, I'm chatting with the one and only Thomas Jelmy, already learning so much from you. And I know that I don't want to share all of the secrets over here because so much of them are written in your books, uh, Breakthrough, What Cabin Crew Can Teach About Leadership, Teamwork, and Customer Contact, and the Coaching Code Practical Tips for Cracking the Code and Building Successful Coaching Business. So, Thomas, we're running out of time. And if, if we, you can delineate in 30 seconds or less, what can Cabin Crew teach you about leadership, teamwork, and customer contact? What would that be? <laughs> well, in a nutshell, it's really being, uh, being human, thinking in a more human way, acting in a more human way, allowing your humanity yeah, to shine, to, to be part of, of, of every interaction and not trying to hide that behind a mask of like, I have to be in control. I have to be the smartest person in the room. I have to push people to do what needs to be done. No, you don't. Much more effective is to really be yourself and invite others to also show up as themselves. This is where the magic happens, really. But it takes a bit of, a, of courage, right, to, to try it mm -hmm. and to trust that this can not only also work well, but even better. Wow. Okay. Well, Thomas, I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to share all the secrets because we'd certainly want people to pick up a copy of your book. Um, Thomas, we're running out of time and I want to make sure people can do that. Where can they learn more about you, get in touch with you and, uh, and purchase a copy of these great reads? All right. Well, just Google my name and you'll find me. Uh, the website you, uh, you find me and can reach out to me most effectively is uh, thomasgalmy, one word, dot com. Or just connect with me on LinkedIn, for example. I'd be happy to chat. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our listeners. We appreciate it indeed. Certainly encourage all of our listeners to get in touch with you. ThomasGalmi.com. Uh, appreciate it. And uh, as you said, people can just Google you. We're going to squeeze in a very quick break here on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. But we'll be right back on Get Down to Business. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. I'm thrilled to be joined by Anna Aguilal, uh, who's the former director of the U.S. National Broadband Task Force, part of the FCC under Barack Obama, and the current CEO of NetSphere. I could go on and on with that bio. But what is really important is that cybersecurity attacks on businesses 
are on the rise. Certainly, there's uh, everybody's using all sorts of apps. We don't know where our information is going, or maybe we do indeed. We'll talk all about that. Anur Agalal, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I just saw a fascinating statistic. An estimated 33 billion records will be stolen by hackers by 2023. I mean, that's that's mind-blowing. Anurag, I know you are tracking this information really, really carefully. How did you develop your interest in this? And and uh, I mean, let's we'll we'll dive into all of this uh, all this data. Absolutely, and 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 again, uh, you know that da- that data point that you just shared is really one piece of the entire puzzle. Uh, you know, cyber has really uh, encroached on all aspects of our life. Uh, uh, you know, with the digitization taking place around us, regardless of whether that is uh, in our private lives or consumer lives or in our work lives. Uh, with the digitization and everything going electronic, it's provided an environment that's very target-rich. And, and, you know, we see the outcome of that in, in multiple kind of shades. Uh, data has become really, really uh, important. It's actually the, the new gold standard, if you may. Data really governs how anybody responds uh, to anything, for that matter. And so that data, because of the value therein, is being used and abused um, by cyber criminals, uh, but not only has this uh, created an environment where people are using this to uh, kind of leverage data to kind of make some money, um, cyber has essentially become weaponized as well, and and that's where we all need to be really careful and take this very very seriously and pay attention to this uh, because this is something we're going to be living for with for a long long time, and if we don't address it, uh, it's going to come back and haunt us one way or the other. Wow, absolutely. And I, I can imagine that the, these statistics have only been on the rise as a result of certainly, uh, uh, again, the advance in technology, but also in the, uh, call it work habits of people as well. Um, but Anurag, let's, let's start by talking about you before we, uh, before we get too deep into, uh, into the kind of the, the scary stuff. And I know you're not just involved in sharing the scary stuff, you're actually involved in some of the solutions as well. Anurag, you have a, an impressive bio, including a, a really important role that you played uh, during the Obama administration. So, um, you know, certainly nobody could have predicted at that time what um, what would be going on right now and the rise of, of, of technology and those the, the changes. But what was your time um, working on some of these issues uh, back during the Obama administration like? And tell us a little bit of oh, behind the scenes, if you will. No, absolutely. And, and, and you know, it was a, a real honor to be uh, invited to join the administration uh, and uh, be an important part of what President Obama felt was really important for the country to focus on. Uh, President Obama really felt that our competitiveness on the global stage uh, depended a lot on how we addressed and made available technologies like broadband to our citizens. Uh, it direct, had direct impact to, to the state of our economy. And so that's how the task force was pulled together. Our job really was to put forward a set of recommendations to Congress that uh, then we can go ahead and execute on uh, so that we can make sure broadband becomes an essential part uh, of the economy and is made available to all parts of the economy. Uh, we looked at all sides of uh, um, technologies that are involved in broadband connectivity, whether that be satellite, wireless um, uh, in wired broadband, uh, what have you. Uh, and, uh, and we wanted to make sure that we were providing recommendations where the right investments could be made and uh, the right uh, uh, focus could be had 
so that we could put the U.S. Uh, at par with other parts of the globe. Uh, one area that I spent a lot of time uh, uh, kind of leading during the course of that task force was really going out and learning from some of the other countries that were much uh, rated in, at, at a much higher uh, point with regards to broadband availability and understanding their learnings uh, and seeing how we could adapt those to our country. So I traveled to a whole bunch of countries leading a delegation uh, that allowed us to go out and understand, learn, and then kind of bring those learnings back to us. So it was a, uh, a huge honor and privilege. I, I was really excited and glad I did that. Uh, and it allowed me to give back um, a little uh, to the country that has given me so much. Wow, amazing. Um, thank you for your service. Um, very impressive indeed. So I know you you took that that knowledge, that information, those experiences, and have continued. You're now the CEO of NetSphere, um, and you advocate uh, quite prominently for the uh, for implementing cybersecurity safeguards like end-to-end encryption, especially as we're using apps like WhatsApp and uh, so many more. So what I guess tell us a little bit about uh, maybe a little bit more of that, th- those scary statistics, but most importantly. What safeguards our listeners can and should be putting in place, regardless of whether they're a small or a big business? Right. And as, as you mentioned at the start of the program, cyber is here to stay, right? It's not going to go away anytime soon. Uh, we recognize that here at NetSphere. Uh, there's another statistic that, uh, that's out there that talks about how cyber um, is, is actually paying for North Korea's entire missile program. So it's actually been weaponized. And if any enterprise does not pay attention to it, uh, you know, it's just a matter of time before they get compromised. We at NetSphere recognize that. And so we put forth a, a set of technologies that we present as a service. The service also is called NetSphere, which allows enterprises to provide their employees with a set of um, messaging and communication tools. When I talk messaging, I'm talking mobile messaging because that's become so popular and as a means to communicate and be productive within the enterprise. But they aren't solutions that actually address those needs. So NetSphere actually allows you to communicate leveraging the strength of mobile messaging, but is end-to-end encrypted in a manner that provides the enterprise the level of security they need to ensure there's no outside encroachment. Uh, and, and the reason this is so important is because today the weakest link in a cyber security defense surround, if you may, for the enterprise is the employee. The employees today unknowingly will click on a phishing uh, email because that's the best way for a cyber uh, entity to come and compromise your environment and unknowingly will open a backdoor into the enterprise, which ultimately could lead to a ransomware attack, could lead to data being stolen uh, or data being compromised. And so if, if, the, if the weakest link is the employee and email is part of that weak link, we wanted to be able to provide a platform that kind of close that link. And that's what NetSphere does, provides you with a very robust mobile messaging communication platform that's entirely end-to-end encrypted. It also caters to voice and video communications and allows for collaboration to take place within the enterprise while keeping data secure, keeping um, their intellectual property secure, and making sure Mm -hmm. because it's closed, there is no means to come out and fish from the outside. Absolutely. And again, I'm chatting with Anar Galal, who is the former director of the U.S. National Broadband Task Force, part of FCC under Barack Obama, and the currency of NetSphere. And you've already uh, gotten to one of my next questions, which are, again, some of the preventable uh, 
preventative uh, measures that can keep enterprises safe. Again, that end-to-end uh, encryption is key. Um, you know, embrace technology, but it's just a tool. Uh, Anurag, unfortunately, we don't have a ton of time, but I wanna, what I want to leave our listeners with is an actionable item, something that uh, business leaders can and should do to educate their workforce and beyond about these risks and, and really anything that you'd like to uh, leave with our listeners before we get to, of course, your website and that of NetSphere. What, what would you like our listeners to walk away from this conversation with? I think it's really important for the listeners to understand this threat is real, so do not ignore it. Take it seriously and address it. Deploy the right technologies like antivirus, et cetera, to, so that you are able to protect your environment. But more importantly, look for the right solutions. Today, a lot of the solutions out there for communication and collaboration do not provide end-to-end encryption, do not provide the level of security that's required. So don't assume just because it comes from a big, well-known entity, it is giving you the ability to keep your environment secure. Look for very specific Mm -hmm. solutions. Question people what end-to-end encryption actually means. Make sure it's implemented in that environment like we do here at NetSphere. Mm-hmm. And, and make sure we're deploying those right solutions. They're available. You've got to that's look great. for them. You can find them on our website at netsphere.com. Uh, but that's just one example of how to address this big issue. Anurag, I really appreciate you sharing that. And again, netsphere.com, which is great. And I know you and your team are posting a lot of very helpful, valuable information. And I know we'll, of course, have you back on um, our program to talk more about these risks and most importantly, more about some of those safeguards that we can put in place in 2023 is certainly going to be an exciting year with lots of innovation technology, but it's certainly a year that we need to make sure we're protecting ourselves and our businesses as well. Anurag Lal, thanks so much for joining us. We've got to squeeze in a quick break for the headlines, some commercials. We'll be right back on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to the Dr. Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship in a world rolled by unprecedented change. Effective leadership is becoming even more essential. That's why I'm bringing on the author of a brand new book, Lift Fostering the Leader in You Amid Revolutionary Global Changes. Uh, I've got Faisal Hawk, uh, who uh, talks in this thought-provoking book, inviting readers to explore the intersection of transformational leadership uh, systematic, uh, uh, systemic thinking and uh, experiential learning. Faisal, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I know you and your, uh, and your co-authors have a lot of experience, and I don't want to spend our entire time talking about your bio, um, but you've done a lot of things in your career, um, including uh, many public and private sector giants. Uh, what were some of the experiences that led you to write Lyft? Look, I mean, you know, Lyft I wrote about now almost 24 months ago. So this is right after a pandemic. Uh, my uh, publisher was saying, hey, the uh, world has changed. Uh, what are those main changes and how do we prepare for it? So it stemmed from that. And as you know, we were just coming out of the pandemic, uh, but also there has been a lot of technological change. Uh, there has been a lot of uh, conversation about misinformation and how it helps or doesn't help us to make the right decisions. Uh, and, and the fact that, uh, you know, there's a lot of conversation around climate change and um, mass migration from different locations. So all of this has a major impact from a socio-political and economic point of view. It uh, doesn't matter how small or large uh, organization you may be part of. So it's both individual as well as it's uh, a professional and uh, uh, business and organizational. 
Wow, um, interesting. And I know that the uh, the lift is, uh, I, I wouldn't call it quite a book because really at the end of every chapter is a section titled Learn and Transform. So what are some of the key takeaways that you're hoping that uh, readers um, can walk away with and who's the intended audience? So the intended audience uh, could be anybody and everybody. And, you know, we identify opportunity uh, on an individual level, but we also have identified opportunity in every market segment, whether you're in financial industry, whether you're public sector, whether you're in healthcare, uh, there's opportunity for everybody. And Lyft was written with a very optimistic uh, lens and optimistic viewpoint. And the name lift comes from uh, the fact that if you want to lift others first, you have to lift yourself. So the key learning from lift is that, uh, you know, the leadership style needs to be changed in a way, whether we are inspiring and uh, we are uh, influencing uh, others uh, along with ourselves. That's first thing. Uh, but once you're inspired, uh, if in order to uh, execute something, you have to execute it with a systemic and step and process Nothing is sustainable if you don't have a repeatable process. And the third is that all our learning comes from our experiences. Uh, for example, uh, you know, you've seen in the pandemic, uh, during the pandemic, we have learned not to use uh, a simple example, not to use a, a printed menu, and we are using this, uh, um, you know, uh, the, the QPR code to read it on our you know, phones and order food from the menu, just a simple example, or telehealth, another example, right? So these are behavioral learning patterns that we learn when we are forced into a particular situation. And those learning uh, stays with you more uh, 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 lasting way than if you read a book or you go to a seminar. So the combination of this, uh, uh, you know, the uh, transformational leadership trait with inspiration and empathy uh, uh, along with systemic thinking and uh, the uh, experiential learning is what's going to prepare every single one of us to deal with all the changes that are uh, at bay and coming. And you've already seen a lot of things that are coming in terms of, you know, cyber and, uh, uh, you know, the, the AI and all kind of geopolitical unrest, economic downturn. Uh, but those three factors are three, uh, three areas of learning that I just talked about is, is very uh, ubiquitous. Absolutely. I'm Chad Faisal, the unaccomplished entrepreneur, senior executive, author, thought leader, public speaker, and advisor to management teams and board of directors. Um, and uh, important for our conversation, co-author of Lyft, Fostering Leader in You Amid Revolutionary Global Changes, because indeed that's exactly what is going on. Um, Faisal, I, I really appreciate you sharing all of that with our listeners. And obviously a key takeaway is going to be picking up a copy of the read and getting on your website, which we'll share in just a moment. But Faisal, in 30 seconds, the way of remaining, um, can you point to a specific sort of leadership style or leader in particular that sort of has transformed you? Look, I've been influenced by a host of leaders and personalities throughout my career. Starting from when I was in college, uh, I, I used to uh, work in a janitorial shift. So the, the, my supervisor, the graveyard supervisor was my first uh, influence. And then from there, uh, I have uh, I have uh, worked for GE and worked for Pitney uh, 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 Bowes and uh, worked with many corporate boards. Uh, so throughout my career, many people has influenced my leadership style. Uh, but also a lot of thought leaders like Peter Drucker and, and a lot of the 
new generation thought leaders like uh, Adam Grant and other folks has obviously shaped my thinking and wow. uh, practice. Well, Faisal, I appreciate you sharing that uh, on, the, on the personal note. And uh, again, I'm inspired by you. So how can we get in touch with you and learn from you and learn from your read? Uh, look, I mean, you can go to my website, FaisalHawk.com, but you can also follow me on LinkedIn. Well, thanks so much for joining us and get down to business. Quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. Get on my website, shalomkline.com. I'm super excited to be joined by Dr. Corey Rosen, founder and senior staff member of the National Center for Employee Ownership, the NCEO, a nonprofit organization that's the nation's primary source of information on employee ownership. Uh, And I know he is also the fantastic uh, co-author of uh, equity, Why Employee Ownership is Good for Business, which came out in 2005, and the new book, Ownership, Reinventing Companies, Capitalism, and Who Owns What, which just came out. Dr. Corey Rosen, welcome to the program. Thank you, Shalom. It's a delight to be here. Absolutely. You, let's jump right in, because you argue in your book, and as well as so many other things that you publish online, that ownership is broken. That's a, that's a pretty bold, bold statement, Corey. What do you mean by that? Indeed, it is. But we have a few different ways of people owning capital in the United States through the public markets, through private companies and family businesses and the like. But when you look at people today, half the population couldn't put its hands on a thousand dollars in an emergency. And half the people who work in the private sector have no retirement assets at all, at all. They don't even often have access to a retirement plan. So this is a real wealth crisis in the United States. You know, we often talk about problems of income inequality, but wealth insecurity is an equally severe problem that really hampers people's ability to get ahead in life, to have a secure life, to provide for their kids and so on. Well, how do you get that wealth? If you don't inherit it, which is the easiest choice, choose your parents wisely. If you don't choose your parents wisely, it can be very difficult because people's incomes have been stagnant. And so they have a hard time putting money away to build wealth. So we need a way for people to become owners, to have that second source of eventual income besides their work and social security that is reliable for them, but also is practical for them to get. And if you're asking them to somehow save their way to it, it's just not going to work for the vast majority Mm -hmm. of people. So we need a new way to share ownership. Absolutely. And I know I'm chatting with the the subject matter experts, um, on the topic of employee ownership, um, and that is the founder and senior staff member of the National Center for Employee Ownership, the NCEO. So um, as you just started alluding to, Corey, uh, I know you are passionate about this concept, employee ownership. Um, We just finished talking about how ownership is broken. So employee ownership, break it down, sort of demystify this this concept so so we fully understand it, what that means 
even for some of the small business owners and listeners tuning in to get down to business uh, uh, or this uh, or this podcast. Sure. There are three common ways this happens. A lot of people probably think worker ownership. Oh, that's like worker co-ops. And there are worker cooperatives, typically very small businesses where a group of people pool their money and start a business and they're all equal owners. And that's about maybe 10,000 people in the U.S. Then maybe people are familiar with things like companies who give everybody stock options or similar kinds of grants of ownership. You know, this happens a lot in the tech sector and has made a lot of tech sector workers very wealthy. And there's probably another four or five million of those. And then there's public companies where people can buy stock at a discount. But by far the most effective and broad scale way of sharing ownership is something called the Employee Stock Ownership Plan, or ESOP. And this is something that Congress created in the 1970s and has been supported in 18 different laws in Congress and some state laws as well, all of which have passed without opposition. The Republicans love it. The Democrats love it. What an odd thing. And what these laws do is they say, if you own a business, you own a hardware store or a manufacturing company or even a chain of supermarkets, some own engineering company. Some of these companies are quite large, some 20 to 50 employees or so. If you own one of these businesses and you think about, what am I going to do with this business as I get older? What Congress has provided is a way for you as a business owner to use the future pre-tax earnings of your company to buy your shares and put those shares into a trust for employees. Employees will earn those shares through the future work that they do to generate the profits to pay for this. And when they leave the company, they'll get a share of the ownership. And there are about 6,500 of these companies in the United States. They employ about 14 million people and have about $1.3 trillion in assets. So it's a pretty big part of the economy. There are 100 companies in the U.S., for instance, that have more than 1,300 employees that are 100% or so employee-owned. And the sellers to these businesses can defer taxes on the gains that they make by selling to these ESOPs by reinvesting in other companies. Now, the, the magic here is, you know, that all sounded kind of complicated, but believe me, it's it's something you can do if you own a business. The magic is the employees mm-hmm. never buy the stock. They get the stock as a benefit for the work they do to generate the profits that pay for the stock that the company uh, provides them. Well. Well, well, Corey, let's leave it there for a moment. When we come back, I know we've been chatting about how widespread ownership is. We'll talk about the exact process when we return on the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Rejoined by Dr. Corey Rosen, founder and senior staff member of the National Center for Employee Ownership and the author of Ownership Reinventing Companies, Capitalism, and Who Owns What, 
Um, and that's Dr. Corey Rosen. Uh, we've been chatting all about employee ownership. Now it's fixing the issue of ownership in general. We were just sharing some fascinating statistics about how widespread ownership is. So, Corey, I know you're very passionate about this. What steps are you taking and what steps should we be taking to make this idea more common? The biggest obstacle is that business owners who are thinking about selling their business don't know that this is even an option. They don't think, well, the employees could own the business. The the employees have to come up with the money. They don't have the money to do that. And as I just explained, they don't need to have the money to do that because it's paid for out of the future tax deductible profits of the company. And the seller gets a tax deferral by selling to the ESOP. And for a lot of business owners, this is a whole lot more preferable than selling to, say, private equity or some competitor. And you know what's going to happen to your business after that. Here are the people who helped you build it, get the ownership. But if you go to your business advisor or your accountant or a business broker, you're not likely to hear about this. And if you are, they'll probably tell you, oh, that doesn't work. I know it's too complicated. I don't understand it. So helping people to understand this is really important. And I'm very encouraged that Congress just passed a bill that will provide money to states to help provide that education. So that's a really critical thing. Uh, We'd also like to see Congress provide some loan support for loans to make this more practical for some companies where the financing might be a little bit more tricky. Well, you've been chatting about this for quite a while now, because in 2005, you wrote a book, Equity, Why Employee Ownership is Good for Business, and now uh, the book, Ownership Reinventing Companies, Capitalism, and Who Owns What. They're both great reads, and I want to make sure our listeners know where they can learn more about you, and of course, your co-author, John Case, as well, um, who who has joined you in this uh, process and in this advocacy as well. Where Where can we get in touch with you? Where can we pick up a copy of this book? So you can pick up a copy of the book pretty much anywhere. Go to your local bookstore. They can order it. You can get it through Amazon. You can get it through Barnes & Noble and so on. You can also get it on our website, which is the National Center for Employee Ownership, which is nceo.org. And if you go to our website, nceo.org, you'll see a lot of articles about how employee ownership works that'll and then demystify the various ways that you can share ownership with employees, whether it's ESOPs or equity grants or something else, whether you're a startup or you're a business that's been around for generations. Uh, And then we have a lot of resources, uh, books and manuals and toolkits and conferences and the like to help business owners and professionals in this field understand how this concept works and how it can benefit them. Well, that's fantastic. I appreciate you sharing uh, your passion, um, educating our listeners. And I know uh, folks can continue to become educated um, by reading your new book, Ownership, Reinventing Companies, Capitalism, and Who Owns What? And of course, visiting your website, nceo.org. Corey Rosen, thank you so much for joining us. um, And I look forward to having you back on real soon. Thank you. Shalom. Absolutely. And be sure to check out my website, shalomkline.com. That's where you can download podcasts from the past 10 plus years of shows all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We produce a new show every single week and you won't miss an episode if you subscribe, rate, review, and share. In fact, that's the easiest way 
to tell people all about the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. And speaking of small business, be sure to check out our sponsors, Tom Mirabali from healthplanchicago.com. Healthplanchicago.com, his phone number is 630-863-3477. 630-863-3477 for all of your health insurance and Affordable Care Act questions and needs. Um, but that's a wrap for us here on the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We've had some great conversations today. We've learned a lot about leadership. We've learned about uh, some technology. We've learned about employee ownership, all sorts of fascinating topics. And I encourage you, again, subscribe, rate, review, and share on my website, shawlincline.com. To success, let's get down to business. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.